Hey, so uh, I've been ranting on marriage for the last uh, few times that I've been up in the microphone area here. So I was going to say pulpit, but that didn't work. So, uh, but yeah, so I thought I would take on a rant about singleness and and not a rant against singleness as much as kind of a, a rant in favor of it, which you know, is really countercultural. So that's what I'm doing today. I think um, if you know me, you'll know I've got a big place in my heart for, for single adults. Uh, one of the reasons is, is because uh, for quite some time I grew up in a single parent family after my mom died. Also, um, I was, as Leonor said, a singles pastor. I'll never forget my very first day of work as a singles pastor at Corona Presbyterian Church over on 8th and Downing. One of the 40-some-year-old ladies came up to me and said, well, you know, Mike, it's your job to make sure we all get spouses. And I thought, wait a minute, I checked my job description. I didn't see that in there anywhere. I'm not even sure if that's right. Although I have been known to hook some people up. So, yeah, yeah, Dan and Jess Craig are not here conveniently, right, when I want to. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the few successes, I guess, if you want to call it that. Because, um, honestly, I think Scum has been primarily a single adult church, especially at night, more than it's been a married church for a dozen years. I mean, if we took a poll in here, most people would be single. And, you know, you, you think that may be one of those states of life that Christians don't appreciate near as much as they ought to. And one of the reasons that Christians ought to appreciate it more is because it's during that phase of life you can actually use Christian pickup lines. And uh, I, I scoured the internet for the worst Christian pickup lines ever, and I came up with my bottom five. Actually, there's a tie for the worst, so there's actually six of them. But I'll start with number five from the, from the bottom. You must be from heaven because you look like an angel. Aw. Aw. That's so much better than the secular version, which is throwing a sugar packet in the floor, picking it up, and telling a girl that you found her name tag. So, which is... Anyway, number four from the bottom. You know, back rubs are my spiritual gift. (laughs) Number three from the bottom. Babe, lay your hands on me and pray because I'm sick with love for you. Yeah. Number two from the bottom, let's go speak in tongues together. Where's a drummer when you need one? Yeah, but... And tied for the worst Christian pickup lines of all time. <laughs> Your Bible would look great on my nightstand. <laughs> and should I meet you in the morning for devotions or, or just nudge you? <laughs> so, yeah. Those are bad pickup lines for a wide variety of reasons that, uh, yeah, make it cool to be a single adult. Anyway, um, I realized um, when I was a singles pastor, actually, that, that being single is uh, a club that most people don't want to belong to. But um, it's very different from what was going on, at least in the Greek part of the world, 
in the first century. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, and you've got to understand what was going on. He was trying to let them know that it was okay to be married. Because to a Greek frame of mind, it's kind of an asceticism. The pleasures of the flesh, the pleasures of life, taste, sight, sound, those kind of things should be denied if one wants to live a holy life. That separation from the world and its temptations is what makes you holy. We get a little bit of that now, right? Even in, let's say, some of the writings of Gandhi and other people from the East, that that denying yourself somehow makes you holier, see? And this had found an extreme in Greek thought, because we all know Greeks are extreme kinds of people. And so the Corinthian church is writing to Paul in a letter that we no longer have, and he's trying to answer a question that was in that letter that has been lost. But I guess in this first letter, they asked him questions about whether it was good to be married or not. Because they were intent on being as hyper-spiritual as possible. And so Paul, in the letter we call 1 Corinthians, which in actuality is probably the second letter that he wrote, tries to address that issue. And I've found most of those responses in chapter 7, and I've kind of pulled out the ones that talk about being single. So they should be on the wall over to my right. I'm going to read them all together. 1 Corinthians, starting in 7, verse 1. Now about the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. Now, just so you know, back then, being single meant you were celibate. Unlike in modern-day 21st century America. And when Paul talks about being single, he's going to assume that we're talking about you being celibate as well. Verse 7. I wish everyone could get along without marrying just as I do. But we are not all the same. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Going to verse 25. Now about the young women who are not yet married. I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his kindness has given me wisdom that can be trusted, and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis... Now. Some translators make this out to be that there wasn't a looming crisis going on right then. That it could be just translated because of the way things are currently in the present day age. Because of the way things are. As opposed to some present crisis. Some people say, well... If there was a crisis, it was the impending return of Jesus Christ at any particular time to the earth. Maybe that's what Paul had in mind. But from the context of the letter, it seems that he was talking about the way things are when you get married. It changes your life. Because of the way things are presently, he says... I think it is best to remain just as you are. Verse 27, if you have a wife, do not end the marriage. Because some of those Corinthians, wanting to be more holy, thought, I'll just conveniently divorce my husband or divorce my life. I can be rid of that person and holier and closer to God all at the same time. And the Apostle Paul was not going to give them that out in this letter. He says, if you have a wife, do not end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, I am trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. A lot of theologians think the Apostle Paul was probably married in his uh, earlier life, and that he was traveling the world as an apostle for God, but also as a widower, because he seems to know what he's talking about 
that there are extra problems that happen when you get married. I'll talk about those in a minute. Going down to verse 32. In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be more devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit, while the married woman must be concerned about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions upon you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best, with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he ought to marry his fiancée because he has trouble controlling his passions and time is passing, it's all right. It's not a sin. Let them marry. But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. That is so countercultural to what's going on today in the USA. We look at this as one of those truths we want to spit out of our mouths because it doesn't quite satisfy the craving that we have. Because to us, singleness, for the most part, culturally is a disease that we've got to somehow be cured of. But it hasn't always been that way. We have this weird concept going on in 21st century America and the West that somehow we're not complete persons without someone else in our lives. You've heard the term, I'm looking for a soulmate. A soulmate. As if somehow you're not a complete person. You're only half of a person, and your job is to spend your entire lifetime looking for the other person who's also only half, who will then complete you. That is not a Christian concept. That is not a Jewish concept. It is an Eastern pagan concept. The Christian concept is that you are a whole person. You're created in and of yourself, a whole person, and the only exception is that you are created for a relationship with God and you're not complete until you have that relationship with God. Blaise Pascal, the famous French mathematician, philosopher, and theologian, said that we were all created with what essentially is a God-shaped vacuum in ourselves, and we are not complete until we enter into a relationship with God and he fills that void that is in our souls. That's a Christian concept. That you can be totally, 100% whole, complete, and good to go, even if you're a single adult. This business that you have to find somebody comes from somewhere else, uh, Greek and farther east, honestly. And so, in the U.S., we have this idea, this is my point number one, that I've been talking about here, is that somehow singleness is a club that we wouldn't want to join. And it reminds me of that old Groucho Marx line, I would never join a club that would have me as a member. That's how we look at singleness. I don't want to join that club. As a matter of fact, this is what I found, is that 
young people at Scum of the Earth, and by and large, we are a younger congregation than most congregations around town. You don't call yourselves single adults. You're just not married yet. Single adults are people who are older, like, you know, really old, like 30s, 40s, 50s. Those are single adults. And uh, I remember when we started Scum of the Earth, there was an adamant, we will not have a singles group. And now I'm chuckling as I'm writing these things down on a flip chart in my living room thinking, that's because you are one large singles group. That's all you are. I was the only person married. Well, Mary was married as well. <laughs> we were the only people who were married. Okay. But even though Christianity looks at singleness as a gift from God, that's not the way... The church in this country operates by and large. I think we've been co-opted by the culture. Which leads me to my second point about this rant on singleness. You know, you guys can't catch a break, really, I think, in the uh, American church. Every time I go away, they get closer, and every time I get closer, they go away. Every time I go away, they get closer, and every time I get closer, they go away. What do I mean by that? I mean that... Sometimes, sadly, the church can seem like some kind of kosher meat market for Christian singles. You can't come near somebody if you're single without them wondering if you are on the prowl. That you're trying to hook up. That you might pull out of your back pocket some terrible Christian single pickup lines. Because it seems like every place you go in the body of Christ, there are always people trying to hook you up with one of their friends on a blind date or whatever. Oh, it would be so great if we could get these two people together. Wouldn't that be just cute? They'd be so cute together. It happens all the time. It's epidemic. I mean... Oh, that we were as passionate about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ as we were about getting our single friends together. So if you're trying to get away from the dating scene and go to church to get your life together, well-meaning, misguided Christians can make it worse for you. Because church becomes the happy hunting grounds. Actually, I've had, I've had girls come to me and say, Mike, I'm coming back to church. I've been gone for a while. I'm on a man fast. I'm fasting from men. Because men mess me up. And they distract me from Jesus. And I want to get closer to Jesus. So I'm coming back to church. And as soon as they come back to church, the boys start circling around like sharks, you know, around a surfboarder who's got a ham strapped to the bottom of a surfboard. <laughs> or her surfboard. And that's not... Only the, the only reason why it's tough. Married people make it tougher in this way. So let's suppose, just for example, you're a young single girl, you're on a man fast, or you're just not interested in dating for a while. Okay, let's not make it that dramatic. And you start to come to church to try and get your life together with Jesus. You still need... Good, wholesome, aff affirming, affectionate, and maybe even accountable relationships with other men and women within the body of Christ. You need these things. We're built to need each other, right? And so, you come to church for a while and you think, you know, 
this guy or this girl is really cool. And so you go up to, let's say, a guy. You start talking to him. Because, after all, who are supposed to be the safe people in church if you're a young, single woman? Who are the safe guys? The married guys, right? They're already taken. They're supposed to be working on their marriages happily married. And so you go up to talk to a guy, and as soon as you start talking to this guy, somewhere in the sanctuary or in the fellowship hall or at the Halloween event or whatever, the scum prom, whatever it is, the wife's radar goes on red alert. And all of a sudden, the beeps start getting louder and closer together. Beep, beep, beep. And her missiles are locked and loaded and ready to fire at this girl who's 22 and never had any children and is still really skinny or something. Who knows what is going through a young bride's mind at that point? And she will either make a beeline, come over there and stand between it and make sure it doesn't go any farther, or she will give her young husband hell on the way back in the car. What do you think you're doing? The same is true when the same single woman comes up to a married woman. I mean... What are you going to do if if you don't have children? You don't want to talk about children. You have nothing to bring to the conversation if the young Christian mom wants to talk about her kids all the time or about nursing or about labor and delivery, which they always do. It's like my cue to get out of the conversation when that happens. But if you're looking for fellowship, if you're looking for a friend, and you're a single woman, you know, that is not something you can talk about. It's tough. It's tough. You know, it it works this way too. You might be in a church for some time and you've got this group of Christian single friends and you guys do stuff together. But then... Some of your group gets married. And because of things being the way they are in our culture, the married people stop hanging out with the single people. And it's like somebody died. There's a grieving that goes on in the heart of the singles who are left and are not married and are not invited to the couple's things. Back when I was at Corona, there were... These four guys, I call them the four musketeers because they were the planners and the instigators of just about every social activity that we did in the single group. They're great leaders. And so you had all sorts of people glomming on because these guys were so awesome. And then one by one, they started dating one particular girl, could be from another church, could be from our church, and, and then they got engaged, and then they got married, and then they were no longer part of the singles group because of the way things were set up back at that church. And, and now the, the people who were left are going, what happened? Like, these were our brothers. These were our, our leaders. These were the people who thought of stuff. They were. The, if I wanted to go and get some kind of male perspective that was safe, I could go there. And now, all of a sudden, I can't do that because they're not part of the singles group anymore, and because you know their wife looks at me really funny when I come up. I mean, it could be. I mean, if, if you were a guy and you were one of their buddies and you want to invite him to your house to watch the Broncos game on a Sunday night. You know, they weren't invited. Or they couldn't be invited because, no, you got to stay home with the wife. And it would be the same other way around. One of the other reasons the church makes it tough for singles to believe that singleness is a gift from God is my next point, which is I don't get no respect. Singles don't get no respect in the church. Now, some of this is deserved. 
Let me tell you why. If you're single, listen closely. Why would well-meaning Christian leadership kinds of people not respect singles in the church? One of the reasons is because singles are so transient. I mean, they're, they're living here one month, and they're gone the next month. They're going to graduate school. They took a job in a new city. They decided to try out another church because there is a better kosher meat market at the other church. If your church leadership are going, well, do I lean on this person? Do I give that person any responsibility? Because if you sign up for nursery duty to help out with the kids during the church service, how do I know you're going to be there? Because you're, you might move. So they become somewhat unreliable in the eyes of Christian leadership. You know, some Christian singles are in love or married to or in bondage to their jobs. This kills me. Because you, know, you get paid for 40 hours a week and you work 55 hours a week to make some person money. And you're just giving your whole life to that company. What a travesty. The church needs you. The Lord needs you to go and do his stuff around town. And, and you are stuck because you're putting in extra hours every day doing inventory or taking care of the boss's mistakes. And furthermore, not getting paid for it. I mean, if you got paid for it, at least you could take the money that you generated from the overtime or whatever, and you could put it toward the ministries that God placed on your heart to give to. But don't be overcommitted to your jobs if you're single. It's not the Lord's leading all the time. Sometimes it is. That's how you show God's Grace and mercy to your employer or your coworker by taking on an extra shift. But I don't know why I've seen in this country folks can go to an extreme to the detriment of being involved and active in the kingdom of God, not just the local church, but whatever it is God wants you to do. Another reason that church leadership doesn't trust single adults is because they're stingy when it comes to their giving. I'll tell you this. I think one of the reasons that I got let go from my position as singles director at Corona Presbyterian Church by the new senior pastor was that the people I was spending most of my time with weren't giving diddly squat to the church budget. And I was spending a whole lot of time with people who were just taking advantage of what everybody else was paying for in me. Now, this is kind of a harsh criticism on my part, I know. I might be wrong, but look at it from a financial standpoint for a minute. Unless you consider outreach to single adults as some kind of evangelistic ministry, for which you're lose, willing to lose money, you can't operate that way. Here's the rub. Every single staff person that's come to the earth gets paid from outside the church, for the most part. Why? Because people at scum don't give very much. Or, and we understand because they don't have very much. But I'm just telling you, why things are the way they are sometimes in the church. Church leaders see single adults spending lots of time going out with friends, having beers on the weekends, you know, $5 lattes and whatever else at the coffee shops a few times a week, um, you know, buying new and expensive recreational equipment or musical equipment and putting nothing into the ministry of the church. I mean, really, you have the most disposable income you will ever have in your life before you get married and have children. 
When you get married and have children, all of a sudden, you've got to start looking at it, you know? If you're single, you just go and buy it. I know it's hard to believe. Just wait. You'll know what I'm talking about. Singles have to suffer being treated poorly when it comes to sermons in the church. If you go to a kind of standard American church, most of the illustrations are about being married or having children. We try really, really hard as scum not to do that. Because we realize that our ministry is toward people who mostly are not married. And so you will not hear a lot of application that only has to do with people who are married and have children. But that's tough when you're, when you're single going to church and you're trying to apply the scriptures to your life. And the only examples that the pastor gives are for people who are married. So I think singles are treated poorly in sermon series sometimes and church retreats and things like that. And then there's a difficulty of the church with divorced people, with single parents, with widowed people. I mean, frankly, sometimes church leadership just does not know what to do with people when they're single again. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, how to, how do I talk to them about, about celibacy after, I mean, when they've been used to having sex for years? I mean, how do you, so they just ignore it. Everybody cries about the young widower or the young widow, but they don't really know what to do because all of a sudden when he goes to the things they used to go to, even though they were couples kinds of things, he feels like the odd person out or she feels like a third wheel on a bicycle. So the church sometimes, in contrast to the scriptures, makes it difficult to see singleness as a gift. And that's just wrong. But the culture is just as tough. You would think that in a culture that almost extols singleness. Think about your favorite TV shows right now. Aren't they mostly about small groups of very close friends? Name me some TV shows that are about small groups of very tight-knit friends. Friends. Thank you. <laughs> On reruns, right? Seinfeld. South Park. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, South Park. What? Taxi? What's that? Two trauma? Two Futurama. Futurama, sorry. Yes, Futurama. Let's take us some newer ones like uh, Big Bang Theory, right? It's always sunny in Philadelphia. How I Met Your Mother. I mean, just think, I mean, most of the popular sitcoms are about single people. I mean, we watched off at The Office, right? We watched The Office because we were just enthralled by Jim and Pam. Jim and Pam, what's going to happen? Jim and Pam, Jim and Pam. They're single. Oh, they're apart. Oh, what's going to happen? Are they going to get together? Oh, I don't know. He's dating somebody else. Who's that Karen girl? I don't like her. I want to get together with her. What's Roy doing back around again? Blah, 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 blah. There's Kelly and Ryan and all that drama. And we're going, see, it's the single adults who get the best parts. Steve Carell is the single guy. Is he going to sleep with his boss? He's not going to sleep with his boss. What's going to happen? I mean, it's always about, I mean, really, it's, if you're a single person, everything in the culture, rom-com, movies are about you. But I'll tell you something. My next point is lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top. Identities used to come from families. Oh, he's the Anderson boy. Oh, she's the Smith girl. I know them. They live over here on the street. We had shows like Father Knows Best or Leave It to Beaver. Or 
the Lucille Ball show, whatever that was called. I mean, it was about, it was about families, right? Mostly. I mean, America took its identity from families. But now, singles, it seems, take their identities mostly from their jobs. What do you do? Well, what do you do? How do you spend your time? Or their gifts or their passions, which I think is somehow dehumanizing. That you're judged by what you do as opposed to who you are. Families are falling apart all around us. Lovers leave. Boyfriends and girlfriends are coming together and then splitting an ever-quickening pace. Many singles I know are isolated. They're lonely. They're sad. They're looking for that person to walk into their lives and make everything just all better. But the truth of the matter is, and you know this once you've been married, is that lonely single people make lonely married people. Lonely single people make lonely married people. If you haven't learned the vertical relationship and how to be a whole person in the sight of God on a daily basis, you will bring that particular deficit into your marriage. And you will bring that unhappiness into your marriage. Happy single people make happy married people. It's just about the vertical relationship more than it is about the horizontal relationship with each other. There's no kind of lonely like married lonely. I've talked to too many young married couples whose expectations are not being met within the very first year of marriage, and they are more sad than they were before they got married. Because somehow it's just not supposed to be this way. The truth is this, and all married people know it, and so did the Apostle Paul, that when you get married, you just trade one set of problems for another set of problems. That life always has a burr under the saddle, and you are the horse. Life is always difficult. So, we go around looking for somebody to fix us, and it never quite comes up right. Otherwise, I wouldn't be ranting on marriage the past few times I've been doing this. Which brings me to my last point, is that you're looking for someone to fix you Remember that Jesus was a single adult. Remember that Jesus was a single adult. You want the relationship you're supposed to have with one other person? He's the person. I hear, I think I said this last time I was up, but I'll bring it up again. I hear so many people say, oh, I just want the perfect boyfriend. They don't say that I want the perfect boyfriend. They don't say that out loud. They mean that. Perfect for me. Thinking, no, you don't want the perfect boyfriend. Because if you had the perfect boyfriend, everything would be your fault. And you don't want that. Which is one of the reasons you really don't want a relationship with Jesus. Because when you're in a relationship with Jesus and something goes wrong, it's always your fault.
<laughs> I forgot to say this somewhere in the notes of my sermon. I probably skipped over it. But I want to say this because it's so true. Don't you hate it when people are always trying to hook you up with another person, especially your family members? Like, I remember going to, to weddings as a kid, big, fat Greek weddings, right? Then your aunt or your uncle will come up to you and go, you're next. You're next. Michael, you're next. You're getting to be that age. You're next. But then I got them back because there started to be family funerals. And I would just come up and say, you're next. You're next. What we're looking for is a partner who never dies, who never leaves us. I mean, I've enjoyed 34 years with my lovely wife. And they get better every year. The thought of one of us passing away is devastating. A lifetime of conversation gone. But here's my only consolation. Is that Jesus will never leave me, never forsake me. Always be there to listen and for me to talk. Now, I talk about this because it's the reason I'm here, folks. My relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in my life and more important than my marriage. Because this is only temporary until death do us part. If you're the child of a parent who dies, you know that all too well. But the relationship with Jesus goes on not only for as long as I suck wind in this life, but forever in the age to come. If you're fulfilled in this life, you'll be fulfilled forever in your relationship with Jesus. I mean, and even Jesus had to deal with the kind of crap that single adults here have to deal with. Think about this for a minute. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you, if you start daydreaming about what life might have been like for Jesus in the culture where everybody got married, everybody got married. You got married when you were like, you know, 14 if you were a girl and 18 if you were a boy. I mean, everybody was married. What it must have been like to be Jesus at 30 years old and not married with a Jewish mother. <laughs> so I sit there and I wonder what it might have been like for Mary and Jesus. Because what I know about his mother Mary from reading the Gospels is she's a pretty feisty woman. She had her own mind. She would call Jesus out on certain occasions. She had an idea about how he should conduct his life. And I was thinking, what conversation might they have had? Jesus, you're 30 years old now. When are you going to settle down? When are you going to get married? Who's going to fix chicken soup for you after I die? And you know, I'm not getting any younger. I need grandchildren. You're my oldest and you haven't given us any. James is going to pass you up if you don't hurry. When I get to heaven, Mary can sit down and have a talk to me if that didn't happen. But I'm not saying that it did. It's just the way I think. Jesus was a single adult. But Jesus never seemed to be upset about his family's expectations or anybody else's. He was on a mission from God. 
like Jake and Elway, except better. He was on a mission from God. And my question to you, if you're single or if you're married, is are you on a mission from God? I would hope that you are. The gift of singleness comes from a single Savior, Jesus Christ. The gift of singleness comes from a single Savior, Jesus Christ. There are abilities given to you that are not given to people who are married. Yeah. Paul knew what he was talking about. You have problems either way. But there's no freedom like single freedom. There's no freedom like single freedom. Freedom to spend time doing whatever you want to do. You want to go work out? Go work out. You want to go paint? Go paint. You want to go lock yourself in your bedroom and make music? Go lock yourself in your bedroom and make music. Ain't nobody going to be saying, come out here and spend time with me. You want to play video games until you can't see? Play video games until you can't see. No one's going to be saying, we never talk anymore. You want to go on a week-long silent retreat? No one's going to demand that you have a conversation. You have the freedom to pursue your own dreams and to help others pursue theirs. You can do that when you're single. You can't do that as well when you're married and you've got a mortgage or you've got children. Because at that point, you have traded your own desires for the desires and the needs of your wife and family, gentlemen. That's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to sacrifice your dreams for theirs. You have freedom to express yourself creatively through any number of venues. You have freedom to rest when you want to rest and need to rest. You have freedom to study God's Word for hours on end if you want to. You have freedom to go on mission trips for a month to inner city Scotland, uh, Glasgow, Scotland. Do you realize that of all the people that went to Glasgow and served the homeless in inner city Glasgow, Scotland, everybody was single except for the leader, Ben who's married to a woman who works for a missions agency and understands why he had to be gone for a month. That is so rare. That is so rare. But the guys and gals who were single had no problem. You have freedom to get to know other people, no matter what they look like or what gender they are. You have freedom to be alone. You even, and this is the most obvious, and I'm kind of the master of the obvious, you even have freedom to get married to the right person when you're single. You have freedom to get married to the right person. Do you know how often I've heard the phrase, I married the wrong person? That doesn't work with me very often. I mean, normally what I say to a person is, look, I don't care if they were the wrong person. When you married them, they became the right person when you took those vows. And you're supposed to work it out with God. That doesn't mean I don't think there are valid reasons for divorce. I do believe there are valid reasons for divorce. They're in the Scriptures. But for the most part, when you want to divorce out of convenience, I'm going to say, uh-uh. You need to work at it. You can be separated for a while. But you got to come back and work on it. I am not a sympathetic ear when you want to leave your spouse for no biblical reason. And I don't think we should be. But when you're single, you have the ability to marry the right person. 
For remember what the Apostle Paul wrote. The person who marries does well, but the person who doesn't marry does even better. Does even better when it comes to the relationship with God. You can go places with Jesus, frankly, that those of us who are married can't. I remember talking to a pastor one time about ministry stuff, and he said, Mike, if you get married, your ministry will be curtailed. I go, what do you mean? He says, just stands to reason. You can't do as much as you would if you were single. I go, how's that? What do you mean? I don't get it. He said, well, think about it this way. If you're married, you can't go out every night and do ministry. You can't do the stuff for Jesus that you would do if you were single. You need to spend time with your wife and your family. You will not have as big a ministry if you get married as you would if you were single. And I thought about my background. I thought about the Greek Orthodox Church, and I thought, that's right. Because in the Greek Orthodox Church, priests can get married. If you're a local parish priest, you can have a wife, you can have children. But if you want to be a bishop, uh-uh. Bishops are, are celibate, single guys, as are archbishops, as is the patriarch. You curtail what you can do for Jesus if you are married. I'm not saying that loving your wife and loving your children is outside the will of God. The Apostle Paul, remember, was writing to tell the Corinthians that it was okay to get married. All right? It's a good thing when you find a wife or you find a husband. But let's make sure we understand the biblical perspective that singleness is a gift. Tis a gift to be single. Tis a gift to be free. Lord Jesus, thank you very much for your word as expressed to the Apostle Paul. May it encourage us, both single and married alike. In your name we pray. Amen.